eighth grade, and we went, went, went on a hike in the Catskill Mountains. And while we're hiking, uh, a bunch of us boys, you know, we came across a brush fire uh, on the side of this mountain. And one of, one of the kids ran off to, to alert the park ranger and the rest of us went and we took off our jackets and we, there was a creek at the, at the bottom of the, uh, at the, bottom of the, uh, the hillside where the, where the brush fire was. We'd soak our jackets in the creek and go up and beat out the flames, you know, and run back, soak our jackets again, go out and you know, beat out the flames. And we actually got the fire put out. It was over... I'm guessing it was over about an acre of land, you know, so it wasn't real big, but it was pretty big to us, you know, because we weren't that old, and we got the fire put out, and, and you know, there was a, a small article in our local newspaper with the headline, you know, Scouts Quell Blaze, and we thought it was pretty cool. We got our names in the paper and, and all of that, and I still have that somewhere in a closet tucked away somewhere, and we, you know, it, it was neat. We felt like we were making a difference. We, we were doing something. Another one of the things that I got involved in was sports. You know, my second oldest brother was involved in a lot of sports. Older one couldn't care less, but the second oldest one was involved in a lot of different sports and, and that. So I, you know, I, I, I got involved as well as Little League Baseball, played third base and outfield. Um, you know, um, I also played basketball. I'll have you know that I have two trophies in basketball. One of them was in first grade. We had an undefeated season, thank you very much. I mean, nice, you know, wood trophy with a gold, I'm sure it's solid gold, figurine of a basketball player on it, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, really nice. And then the second grade, we got a, a second place trophy. Uh, it was plastic. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, I had those. And, you know, but the thing I remember about both seasons, both seasons, I remember running up and down the court you know, just running, you know, back and forth on the court, hoping and praying that nobody would throw the ball to me because I didn't know how to play the game. Nobody had taught me, nobody told me how to play the game. So I would be running back and forth trying to look, you know, like I knew what I was doing and I was totally clueless. A few years go by and I eventually learned how to play the game. So I joined our sixth grade team at St. Michael's Elementary School in Indianapolis. Got my nice white and red uniform uh, and, you know, was ready to play. And I wasn't a starter, but, you know, I took my place on the bench just ready to get in the game and jump in whenever the coach called me. Problem was he never called me. Game after game after game after game. I never got in the game, not even for half a minute. I was just constantly, everybody else, and I'm sitting there on the bench. Finally, about halfway through the season, I you know, kind of saw the handwriting on the wall, got discouraged, and just stopped showing up. I mean, really, why bother? Why bother if I never got to play? Over the years, I've met a lot of Christians like that that will come to church and maybe sing a few songs, listen to someone talk week after week, but never getting off the bench 
and getting in the game. Often it's because they were never given the opportunity to get in the game, to plug in, to make a difference, to do something. So eventually they just stop showing up. Well, I'm glad you're here today because this is our final week of this series that we've been doing for the last four weeks titled Everyone Gets to Play. And this series is about getting off the bench and getting into the game. In the Bible, the word for that is a word called discipleship. See, a lot of times we think of the word disciple and we think of somebody who, you know, if we, if we, you know, we think of somebody that, that, that's being a disciple, we think of, you know, uh, somebody that's learning a lot of stuff. But it's not just learning, because if we stop at learning, that's not being a disciple. A disciple is one who learns and then begins to do. The whole point of learning is to be doing. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, hopefully you're beginning to get a picture now of what life as a disciple can be and what it should be. It's not a life withdrawing from the world or sitting on a bench just watching while other people are playing on the, on, on the court or on the field. Not at all. The life that Jesus calls us to is, and the life that he taught us to live, and the life that, that he says we can live is a life of engagement. It's where we take an active part in, in taking the message that Jesus preached, the gospel of the kingdom, and the works that he did to a world that's desperate and in need of someone who can bring them hope. That's what the message we carry is. It's a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message of freedom. It's a message of reconciliation. And you and I both get to be carriers of that message. Now, the idea for this series came from a passage in Ephesians 4. It's been our kind of our keynote passage throughout the series in which Paul instructs, he's, he, he talks about the leaders of the church. He instructs the leaders in the church what their responsibilities are. And he says in Ephesians 4, says that their responsibility, uh, uh, the leadership's responsibility is to equip God's people to do, the work, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue, he says, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He doesn't say the leadership's job is to do the ministry, to do all the work. He says our job is to train and equip members of the church in order to get off the game and get into the, or get off the bench and get into the game. It's the church body that gets to do the stuff that Jesus did. You. You get to do it. The stuff that you see Jesus did, stuff that you read about in the Gospels, you get to do it. And Jesus said, not only are you going to do the, to do the work that I did, he says, you're going to do even greater works. That's what he says. He says it in John. Healing the sick, showing compassion, demonstrating mercy, calling people to repentance and inviting them to follow him, inviting them to walk with Jesus. That's all stuff that you're invited to do. That's all stuff that's laid out before you that you get to get, you get, to get in on. 
But a lot of times we think, where do I, how do I do that? How do I get started? I'm excited about our School of Kingdom ministry class because they're learning to pray. They're learning to, get to, 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 to really get active in the game. But how do I begin to live like this? Where do I begin? And, and, and the thing, place where it begins is, is with learning. We've got to learn about it first. So anyway, let me give you three things you can do to get started. First thing is you want to look for someone who's experienced, or excuse me, whose experience is compelling to you. Look for somebody whose experience is compelling to you, not necessarily in what they say, but the evidence in their life, the things that they're doing. If you look at Acts 4.13, you know, this, this is as Peter and John were standing before the religious leaders and they're giving their defense of a, uh, after healing a man that had been lame since birth in front of the temple. You know, they, they, they see this man healed, and then we read in verse 13, it says, the members of the council, a religious counselor, okay, they went and got Peter and, and John and dragged him in before them, and they said that they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, <coughs> for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. In other words, they were just like you and me. They were just ordinary people, and yet they had such boldness. They didn't have any special training. There, were just, there was just one thing that stood out in their lives. Just one thing. <clears throat> it wasn't a fancy degree on the wall or anything like that. The one thing that stood out in their lives is in the next verse, the next statement, says they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I want to point out something here. When they were looking at at, at, at Peter and John, and they were amazed at what they saw. It wasn't so much what Peter and John said that, the, that, that, that made the council members take notice. It's not like that, that you know, they gave this, this tremendous defense of, of, of what they did, an explanation. It's not like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It wasn't what they said. It was rather the way they spoke, the way they said it. They spoke it with confidence. They spoke it with boldness. And that's the same way that Jesus spoke, with a boldness and a confidence and an authority. See, the only thing that it could account for the boldness and the confidence and the ability of Peter and John to heal that man was one thing. They had been with Jesus. They spent three years watching Jesus as he lived his life and as he changed their lives. They spent three years just following him around, watching what he did, and then going out and doing what they saw him do. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about your life right now. What is it that you would like to see changed? Look at your life and just ask yourself, what would you like to see in your life that's not there now. Strong marriage and family. Passionate walk with Jesus. Maybe effectiveness in praying for the sick with confidence. More compassion. Or do you have a strong desire to make a difference in areas of social justice and you just don't know where to start? 
Identify what you want to see in your life and then look for someone around you who is doing that thing well. Look for someone who's doing it well. The thing that you want to see in your life and then begin to come alongside them. Don't just look at what a person says. Look at what they do. And look at somebody with a track record. You want somebody with a history. You'll want to look at the fruit of somebody's life. Not just like over, wow, they've had a really good week doing this. But look over the course of their life, the past several years. Look at their track record. For example, would you like to see consistency in your walk with Jesus? Then look for somebody who has a history of consistency in walking with Jesus through the good times, through the tough times. The mountaintops and the valleys, they show a consistency of walking with Jesus. If you want boldness for praying for the sick, then look for somebody that has boldness and somebody that is always ready to pray for the sick, no matter what. They're always there. They're always eager. And if, 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 you're, you know, if, if people are sick, they seek them out. They want people to pray for them. Look for somebody like that. Would you like to have more compassion? Is that something you want to see in your life? Then look for somebody maybe who is involved in serving the poor or the homeless, the marginalized, the outcast. Look for somebody that's actually showing compassion. Get alongside them. Would you like to learn how to parent well? Look for somebody who has a track record and is doing a good job with their kids. Whatever you, what it is that you want to see in your life, look for somebody else that's around you. Look for somebody that's doing it well. Somebody that's excelling in that area in which you want to excel. Someone who's experienced a victory in an area where you're struggling, you want to experience victory. Look for people with consistency in doing what you want well. Again, not just one or two successes. You want somebody with a track record. And then once you identify that person, you identify what you want and you identify that person, then too, ask them to show you how to do it. Ask them to show you how to do the stuff. Whatever it is they're doing, whatever it is you've identified in them, come alongside them and ask them and say, show me what you're doing. In Luke 11, 1, uh, Jesus, you know, uh, uh, one time, you know, he, he went to a certain place praying, he says, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, why do you think the, that uh, uh, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray? because of something he had a history of doing. And they saw all kinds of amazing things that Jesus was doing, and they knew it all stemmed from his intimate relationship with the Father. They saw the fruit of his, uh, of his prayers. They saw what came out of it. So you know, the only way to cultivate that relationship is, is time spent with the Father in prayer. So they asked him, Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to pray like you pray. Teach us how to pray with effectiveness. Teach us how to pray so that we can begin to walk like you. We can begin to do the things that, you, that we see you doing because we know that's a key to it. They recognized the key to living like Jesus was the relationship with he had, that he had with the Father. So they said, show us how to have that same kind of relationship. 
Another time, Jesus was coming down with a mountain. He'd been up in with uh, his, his inner circle, kind of, Peter, James, and John, three closest disciples. Um, and, and as they're coming down from the mountain, they'd had this tremendous experience up there. And, but as they're coming down, they run into the other disciples. Now, the other disciples had been trying to cast a demon out of uh, uh, a young boy who was, su- who was suffering from epileptic seizures, and they weren't having any luck. And I, I just want to pause here and, and just make a statement. This is not to say that epilepsy is always caused by demonic oppression. That's not to say that. Any illness can be. No illness is always. Okay? You got that? Any illness can be, no illness always. We like to look at both ends of that, you know, and, and, and we like to say, well, epilepsy is a medical condition, and, 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 you know, Jesus didn't just know about medicine yet and all of this, so they blamed a, you know, demon. Or else we like to go the other route and say, oh, well, yeah, you know, it's always a demon. It's behind everything, you know, and we get into error when we do that. So you got to hear me saying this. Any illness can be, no illness always is. But in this case, it was, okay? So Jesus asked the boy's father a few questions. You know, he interviewed him, talked to him a little bit, and then he rebuked the demon and immediately released its grip on the boy, and it came out. Now, a little bit later, when the disciples got alone with Jesus, Matthew tells us in chapter 17, verse 19 of his Gospels, that they came to Jesus and they asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? Why did it work for you, but it didn't work for us? They were asking him, how did you do that? Tell us so the next time we can do it. Show us how. Show us how you did it. Because what we were doing wasn't working. So show us how you did it. They watched how Jesus ministered. In Luke 8, a man named Jairus uh, had, a, had a 12-year-old daughter that had died. And when Jesus arrived at the house, uh, uh, he took the girl's parents, and he went you know, along with, with Peter, James, and John, entered the room and, you know, with nobody else, just them, and everybody else was kept out. He went over to her, took her by the hand, and said, My child, get up. And the girl got up. That was in Luke 8. Fast forward now to Acts chapter 9. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven. The disciples were out doing the stuff. And in Acts chapter 9, we meet a disciple named Tabitha. Tabitha was a prominent woman that lived in the city of Joppa. And uh, uh, she, was, she was well off. She was prominent. She was a, a, a leader in the community. And and um, when we meet her, she had become sick and died. And Peter's in a nearby town, so Tabitha's friends get word that Peter's nearby, so they go and send for him. And when Peter arrived in Joppa, <clears throat> he was taken to the room where the body lay. It's filled with women that are they're crying, they're sharing all their memories, they're, they're, they're showing off all the fancy clothing, things that she had made, and oh, look at this beautiful robe that she made, look at this purple scarf that she made, all this stuff, they're, they're showing all that off, 
And then Peter, you know, he walks in and he sees this. He sends them all out of the room, clears the room. Then he knelt down and prayed. Then he turned to her and he said, Tabitha, get up. Took her by the hand and helped her up. How do you think Peter knew what to do? How do you think he knew to get rid of all the distractions in the room? All the ones that were focused on death. And then just command her to get up. I think he remembered the time that Jesus took him into a room of a 12-year-old girl and he watched as Jesus sent everyone else out of the room, took her by the hand and said, get up, and raised her up. See, when Jesus was ministering to people, he wasn't just healing people, setting them free. He was modeling how to do ministry to the disciples. And then, at least twice in the Gospels, we have record of them, him sending out them to do the same thing. After they saw him do it, he said, now you go out and do the same thing. First with the, with the 12 apostles, and then with a group of 72 disciples. Now he does that with us. He calls us to do the same thing. So look for somebody that's doing what you want to do. Find a mentor and then come alongside and then shadow them as they do it, as they pray for the sick. Watch as they do it. Ask questions. Ask questions about what and how and why. Maybe, maybe why they did something one way one time and, and, and did it another way another time because there's no formulas. And then have them watch as you do it and ask for feedback. Listen and ask questions. Listen as they tell you what they observe. Ask what you, what, what, what you could do differently next time. Be in a learning mode. Don't avoid tough questions. Don't avoid feedback. And don't think there will always be an answer to your question. But they're doing something right. So look at what they're doing. And, and remember, there's a reason that they're having success in what they're doing. So we want to be teachable and we want to be open. And don't worry about who's going to get credit. Well, I prayed for them this time and they were healed. I know you prayed, but they were healed when I prayed for them. You know, kingdom-minded people aren't concerned about who gets credit for anything. They just want to see the kingdom of God come. They just want to see people healed and they want to see people set free. So, you know, but, but you know, all of this, it, it takes being willing to get out of, step out of our comfort zone and to take a risk. That's when learning really takes place. Learning doesn't take place when you go in and you do something that you already know you can do and you do well. Learning takes place when you step out of your comfort zone and you risk it and you don't know what's going to happen. That's when learning takes place. So begin to look for people who experience is compelling to you, then ask them to show you how to do it. And third thing, be ready to give it all away. Give it all away. Whatever you learn, look for somebody else to pass it along to. That's how discipleship works. Listen to the instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 10 as he sent them out to do the things 
they had watched him do. He said, go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. So what are they to do? They're to go. They're to announce the kingdom of God. They're to heal the sick. They're to raise the dead. They're to cure the lepers. They're to cast out demons. And they're to do it what? Freely. Whatever they have received from God, they've received it to give away. When God gives us something, he gives it to us to give away. We use it to, 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 to serve others in some way. Whatever gift, whatever ability he gives us, it's for us to use to serve others. See, the life of a disciple is a life of giving and serving. It's not about us. It's not about building a, a, a life for ourselves. It's not about building a ministry for ourselves. It's being a disciple is about serving others and being willing to give our all. I mean, after all, isn't that what Jesus did for us? He gave us his all. He modeled what it means to give your all. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was facing the most difficult time in his life, he submitted his will to the Father when he said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. In other words, he knew it was not going to be fun. He knew it was going to be painful. It was going to be excruciating. He says, if you're willing... Please, take this cup away from me. But then he said, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. In other words, if, it's, if, if, if that's what I have to go through to redeem these people, bring it on. I'm willing to do it. It's because he was thinking about us. He was thinking about you and me. He wasn't thinking about himself. He gave his all for us, and now he's asking us to be willing to freely give our all to others. Freely you've received, freely give. <clears throat> During this series, we've been using the imagery of a game, and the language of a game, as we say, you know, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets in on the game. Everyone can get out on the field or out on the court. By everyone, we mean everyone. That means there's a place for you on the field. You don't have to be left sitting on the bench. You may think, well... It's not for me because of this reason or that reason. It's, you know, it, it's, it, it's only for certain groups of people. I want you to listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3.28. says, you know, talking about the kingdom of God, he says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Don't let anyone tell you that God can't use you to do something that he has called you to do. As he invites you and he calls you, it's because he fully intends to use you. Don't let anyone tell you that your background somehow disqualifies you. Look at some of the people that God used in the Bible. If anybody's background would disqualify him, it would be the Apostle Paul. It would be Rahab. It would be King David. It would be so many people throughout scriptures 
they'd have things that would disqualify them, a background that would disqualify them, but no, it doesn't. Don't let anyone tell you that you're too young or too old. Remember how God used a 12-year-old boy named Samuel? I mean, could have spoken to Eli, the priest, but no, God spoke to Samuel in the Old Testament when he was about a 12-year-old boy, spoke to Samuel, and Samuel is the one that gave the word of the Lord. You're not too young, you're not too old. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something because you're a woman. Throughout the years, the church has had a history of that. It's been changing. Christ did actually did more, and and Christianity has done more to elevate the role of women than any, any other religion. The more I've been studying the scripture, the more I see it's nothing that a woman can't do that a man can do. I've heard some women preachers that I'd much rather listen to than their husbands. I heard that. (laughs) You know, the Bible is full of stories of God calling unlikely people and then using them in amazing ways. Bottom line, God wants you to get in the game, find your place on the field, start to play like the worship team to come on up. I want to pray to wrap up this series. I just want to pray. I want you to ask yourself if you're ready to be a disciple, if you're ready to get in the game, not just to sit and take notes, but to get in the game. Now, what do you mean get in the game? There's all kinds of positions. Okay, there's all kinds of positions. You look at a team, you look at a football team, you got linebackers, you got wide receivers, you got the center, you got the, you know, the punter, the kicker, you got the quarterback, you know, you've got, you know, the uh, uh, safeties and, and defensive backs. You got all these different positions. Everybody finds their place. And in the kingdom of God, we all have a place to play. We all have a position to play. Let's find it. Look at how God has gifted you. Look at what he's put inside of you. Maybe if you've never, you know, even done something yet, but, but it's like, you know, I have a burning desire to do this. And it, the, 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 the spectrum is broad. Could be anything from, from you know, praying for the sick and, and healing the sick. You have a real desire to do that. It could be serving in, in, in some other capacity. It could be running the sound. It could be running the, the media. It could be working on the, the property, mowing the lawn, you know, blowing off the sidewalk when the grass is cut. It could, could be any number of things, but it's serving in some way, getting in the game and making a difference. That's what God wants. And if you're ready to be a disciple and get in the game, then I just want to pray. I want you to agree in your heart. Lord, we want to get in the game. We're giving ourselves completely, fully, totally to you. Because that's what a disciple does. 
We don't want to hold anything back. Yes, Lord, there's times when we're afraid to step out. There's times when we're hesitant. There's times when we are, 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 are confused and, 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 and doubt and, and fearful. And, and Lord, we just want to give that all to you. We want to submit that all to you because we want to make ourselves fully available to you. So Lord, here I am. I'm making myself available. I ask you to teach me. I ask you to use me. The song says, put me in, coach, I'm ready to play. I'm committing my all to you. In Jesus' name. I want to play.